All right, so let's get into this tonight. We're going to go in John chapter 5, 1 through 9. And I just want you to say this real quick as a mental note, just to convince and then also remind yourself in the days to come. Just say this, he will find me right where I'm at. All right, he will find me right where I'm at. You don't have to move. You don't have to change directions. You don't have to do none of that stuff. Come on now. Matter of fact, the song that got popular a couple years ago, I'm chasing after you, could not be, that, that's probably the worst theological song you could possibly sing. Because the reality is, he's not running from you. Okay, so we're not chasing after him. Uh, we have to come into a revelation of our oneness in God. Because if you don't have a revelation that you or him are one, which Jesus prayed, by the way, in the Gospels, he said, Father, make them one, as I and you are one, him and the Father, right? If we don't have a revelation of our oneness, the only relationship we'll walk out is our orphan mindsets. And that is a mindset that is constantly pursuing after something that we already have. And that doesn't make no sense. It's like, why are you still singing songs about being thirsty when he said you'll drink from a well which will do what? It'll satisfy your thirst. Why are you asking for righteousness and holiness when what? We have already been made righteous and holy in him. Come on, somebody. So these are things that we've already obtained in Christ Jesus that we don't need to beg for, ask for, or do any of those things for anymore. And as long as, as long as we're still of the orphan mindset that we don't have these things, we're going to be trying to obtain something that is, that, that is going to feel out of reach because you're never going to get intimate with the things that you have if you're looking for something you don't. You understand? So, so we, we have these things available to us right now. And uh, so tonight I want to talk about some things as it relates to the pool of Bethesda. And I, I, I was reading this, I was going over this this week, and I, I touched up on some notes today. And just kind of, because the way I study is different. My wife, uh, you know, everybody has a different method of kind of getting before God. Mine starts the moment I put this mic down. So when I'm done tonight, God starts stirring something up in me for my next assignment. And I could be at the gym working out, I could be at the grocery store getting groceries, I could be doing what we call honeydews, honeydew this, honeydew that, um, in my, my household. I could do whatever I'm doing, and during that time, God is already dealing with me in my spirit, man, as to what I'm going to teach. And uh, the studying starts at that moment that I, that I, I, I lay down one assignment and I pick up the next. And so, for me... I could not get off of this John chapter 5. And I told Shawnee earlier, I was in the house and I was just going over the notes. And uh, I had preached on this very passage probably about three months ago. And then, if you guys remember, Pastor Candace, when she spoke, she spoke on John 5 as well. She came back and hit John 5 and talked about different things as it relates to the pool of Bethesda and the mystical uh, views that, that had kind of attached itself to the, the water and all the things. We'll get into a little bit of that tonight. And, uh, and I said to myself, I said, man. And then Pastor Ken came back and dealt with some of the stuff as it relates to the wilderness and similar stuff. It was all just lined up. I said, man, I, what else can I pull out of this? And I got to looking at this tonight and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to teach on this. So we're going to deal with a familiar passage that we've been dealing with tonight, but it's going to hit differently tonight. Okay? So let's go to John 5. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 9. And I want to read specifically out of the NIV translation tonight. I'm usually an NSAB guy, but I'm going to read out of NIV tonight because I like the wording, because there's just some things or some details 
that just pop off the page a little different with the NIV. So let's read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Mm. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I want to stop there for a quick second. You guys know I never let Pastor Tim finish. Um, this is why I picked NIV. It's the only translation that says it this way. Here lies what? Go ahead and read from Paralyzed. The, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Go up to the verse before. Look at what it says. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, okay. and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Continue. Here, a great number of disabled people used... Right there. Oh. Changes everything. Y'all catch that? We got, we've always taught this passage that there's just a number of people just sick, and, and this guy just was, was here and surrounded by lame people. No, 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 they used to be there. He's the last one left. And he's there, having had to watch everybody around him get what he was wanting. Oh, I need you to catch this. He had to watch everybody around him get the thing that he was desiring. And he's still there while everybody got promotions. He's still there while everybody got healing. He's still there while God bless everybody with favor. He's still there. He's the last one in line still waiting for the thing that he's waiting for. And it's probably miserable. It's probably he's tired of waiting. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're just sick and tired of waiting. Anybody ever been there? He's there at this moment. And, 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 and it can just be really, really frustrating. He used to be surrounded with people of like misery. Used to be surrounded with people that had like issues in his life. But now he's the only one left. It's one thing to go through, but it's another thing to watch everybody that you was going through with. Come on, somebody. Get blessed. They ain't no longer there. You're the only one left. Your misery don't even got company no more. (laughs) Something about this just jumped out at me. It used to be there. And I've always asked people, like, man, why would Jesus single out this one dude? There's other people to heal. No, there wasn't. That's why Jesus went to him, because he's the only one left. Come on now. You know you ain't seen that before either. (laughs) And so he's the last one left in this scenario. The problem was his specific disability. He absolutely needed somebody to obtain the thing that he was looking for. His infirmity would not allow him through courage to overcome what was keeping him in that current state. Courage wasn't enough to get him out of where he was lying into the pool. Because the thing that was affecting him, he couldn't walk. He needed somebody to help him there. It's a shame to have somebody to help you to a place to where you can see what you need, but not get what you need. Because we all got people in our life that will help us just enough to get to where we can see it. But not obtain what we need from it. It's like, I'll be your friend long enough just to show you a glimpse of your potential. 
I'm going to leave you right here at this specific place. This is where you're at. We're not moving from this place. You can see it. This is what I need, but I can't reach it. Anybody has a right to be frustrated and, and argue with God and, and, and be irritated with God. It's this man. Last guy left. It's all right tonight. Just, just lift your hands real quick. I want you to say this with me. I just want you to get this in your spirit. What I need, come on, say it like you mean it. What I need is available to me right where I'm at. You think what you need is to, is, is, is some, at some point it's beyond you. It's in, it's another relationship. It's another person. It's, it's, it's a promotion. It's a new job. It's a new car. It's a new house. It's a new state. It's a new move. It's not. It's right where you're at. And this is the problem. We try to move and transition and do all these different. Sometimes transition in the kingdom is staying still. Sometimes when God says, I want you to transition, it's you, it's that you remain at a place. It ain't that you leave, it's that you grow in the place that you're at. Come on now, somebody. I, you need to know that trees transition. Come on. I'm like a tree planted by the water. Trees transition. They don't have to physically move side to side, but they do transition up. We need to understand that they don't look yet. They look don't look like today what they look like yesterday. They're still, but they're growing. Come on, somebody. Transition is not always what you may think it is. And when we start looking at things differently and say that what I need from God is available in the moment that I'm at. Right here, right now. I don't have to go nowhere. I don't have to kiss up to no relationship. I don't have to do none of that. It's all available to me right now. In this moment. Amen, somebody. Woo! The pool of Bethesda, this whole scenario was different than the way we viewed it before. Last man here. Last man here. (laughs) Just sitting there, maybe with regret. Because it's a whole lot easier to struggle if you can find a buddy. Yeah. That's a whole lot easier to struggle if I can find a buddy in my struggle. If I can find somebody that has the same weakness, it makes it a little less condemning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some people like to get around people that struggle with the same stuff so that they can feel a little more victorious if their struggle ain't as bad. Some of us like to get around people that struggle a little worse than we do so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. <laughs> Woo! Man. Come on, say this. I am what I fellowship with. Be careful. Be careful. Some of y'all want to be like Moses, go back to Egypt and bring deliverance, but you can't do that with avoiding the, the wilderness. God will never send you back to a place you used to struggle with until you've been through a wilderness that has actually brought freedom in your life. Amen. Both kingdoms have assignments. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You know what I learned about the kingdom of light? You know what I learned about light period? Watch this. Science likes to think that light is the fastest thing on earth. It's not, though. They're wrong. How do I know they're wrong? Because everywhere light has traveled, it finds that darkness got there first. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let you think about that for a second. Everywhere light travels, darkness was there first. It's okay tonight. I don't want to get too into that, but let, let's, so let's let's continue here. Let's continue to read. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. This is what amazes me about this. The conversation was based on him not having the ability to get into the water to be cured. So what Jesus does is gives him the ability to make a choice. The man was now in between two worlds. Two choices. Do I use the healing... The ability to walk, to go get to the place where I thought healing existed, or do I accept the fact that what he gave me is healing now? Because he made me mobile. And when you're mobile, you're going to follow the path that you think is going to be the path that is going to bring you whatever it is that you're looking for. He had to accept the fact that, hey, listen, why do I need to go there If what I was looking for there has now become my reality here. No need for me to go there anymore. Because here proves to be just what I was looking for. This is an amazing story. This is an amazing story. There's a lot in here. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get to it all tonight. But let's continue to read. Let's just finish the story and then I'll... I'll go back. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Mm. That that, that in itself. This is a grace church. Finished work church. It took place on the Sabbath. Which means. This is what kills me about law keepers. (laughs) They'll say, well, you know, you shouldn't break the law. But here's the beauty of it is that Jesus broke the law all the time. All the time. No, he didn't. They'll say, well, then why was the Pharisees who actually didn't read translations of translations of translations of translations? They was way more familiar with the law than we are or anybody in the 21st century. Why did they assume he did? Because he did. It was clear you're not supposed to be carrying your mat on the day of rest, the Sabbath day. It is a day of rest. See, this is how you know you're religious, when the rules mean more than the people. When keeping the rules mean more than the people that you're serving, you're religious. And you don't, you're not serving the kingdom of God, you're serving something else. Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Why is that important? Because everything the man needed to revive his life and to change his life was given to him in a position of rest. He thought he was paralyzed. Maybe God had him there resting. 
38 years, he viewed his condition as I'm paralyzed, I can't walk. Maybe sometimes God has you in a place of still. He does, after all, command us to be still and to know that I am God. Some of us don't know how to be still unless we're commanded to. Some of y'all don't know how to rest until God takes every other option out of your life to where all you have is to sit still. Come on, somebody. Maybe it wasn't him being paralyzed at all. Maybe God just allowed something to come into his life to slow him down so he can encounter the real pool. Come on now, because Bethesda, after all, means the house of mercy. And mercy flows from the heart of the Father. His name is Christ. House of mercy is a person. On the day... We call Sabbath, which is really the seventh day, is a symbolic imagery of the finished work. That's all it is. It's the seventh day. Y'all, y'all still with me? It's symbolic imagery of the finished work of the cross. And he meets him on that day and he gets healed on that day. Most of our healing that we are longing for in our hearts, our souls, happened from a position of rest. The more we try to get healed, the more we fail at healing. When we start resting in the finished work, the promises of God, and we let anxiety just kind of dissipate from our hearts, and anxiousness dissipate from our lives, that's when we find ourselves healing. Amen. Anxiousness will have you reaching for something that you may need in your life. You're just asking for it out of the timing of God. It's all right tonight. It's important, the timing of God. It's important, the timing of God. Without the timing of God, the very thing that, I mean, listen, it could be a divine gift that God is putting in your life. It could be a relationship that God has just right now that is purpose for your life but outside of the timing of God it serves the purpose of the enemy there are struggles that are necessary there are wildernesses that are necessary in the life of every believer but there's also some that are not you need to find out which ones are the spirit leading you into them and which ones the spirit saying avoid just because he works all things out to the good that does not mean you should just casually jump into a situation or struggle just because he works it all out for the good there's other ways to learn the same lesson amen somebody remember last week I told you that 90% of the life of Christ was processed, 10% was ministry (laughs) I'm preaching to myself tonight I'm preaching to ourselves tonight. James said, no, you're not. Whew. This is some things about Bethesda. I just want to give you some facts here real quick. Um, number one, Bethesda, the name Bethesda, if you was to go back to the first century and ask anybody where the pool of Bethesda is, most people wouldn't be able to tell you. Why? Because they didn't know that was the name of it. It was named Bethesda by the sick. I want you to get some here for a second. The sick people is the one that called it Bethesda House of Mercy. Why? Because these five porches was actually like a some sort of a resort for the wealthy. And they would go in, they would sit in the water, and they would just relax. 
That's where rich people went. It wasn't a place. We get this idea that it's for the infirm people. Yes, it's where some infirm people would go. But to get into the pool, you had to be wealthy. The problem with the mythological concept that an angel stirred the water because it, it's, it, it wasn't added. If you look, matter of fact, I don't even know if it's in this passage. Go back up to verse uh, 1, 2, 3 for me. I just want to see something. I had not even thought about this. Swing over to, do you got NSAB? I'm going to teach for a second. NSAB, do we have that on deck? If it's not an NSAB, it'll probably be in the King James. Okay, go to, go to King James just real quick. I want to show you all something. Verse 4. Okay, go back to NSAB. Sorry. Right there. Stay right there and go back to NSAB. Okay, see this? For the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease which, in which he was afflicted. Here's the problem. Verse 4 does not exist in the original translations. This entire verse does not exist in any of the original translations. Um, because it was, to most scholars, mythological. It was folklore. It was something that kind of was added to the translation to make sense of the translation, right? Some biblical uh, translations will actually go verses 1, 2, 3, and 5. They don't even have verse 4. You can do this study in your own time. It'd probably be in your translation. Just look at it. 1, 2, 3, and 5. No verse 4. Why? Because it wasn't there. Okay, King James puts it in there. We know I've taught you on italicized words. Words that are leaning, why them are added to make sense of a context that they could not explain because I had fragmented um, manuscripts back then. And so they was trying to piece it all together. Remember, I told you, David said, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. There is a talisized. Take that out. It reads better. The fool has said in their heart, no God. <laughs> are you hearing me? Or how about where the commas are? There's a lot of stuff in scripture that if you do not understand linguistical, grammatical things, you're going to miss the meaning of it. You know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Actually, the original translation says where the spirit is Lord, there's liberty. Big difference. Where the spirit is Lord, there is, uh, yep, come on now. When the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Lord will raise up a standard against them. Problem is the enemy doesn't have a flood and he can't use it. Here's where the comma actually goes in the original translation, where the enemy comes in. Comma, like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against them. The comma's in the wrong place. Why? Because, again, of manuscripts that was not um, preserved well enough. We've uncovered a lot more manuscripts now to make sense of all these things. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood. What was the flood? Noah. Who raised up the righteous on the flood? God did, not the enemy. And then Jesus, the true ark, comes walking on water. Why did he walk on water? Not to impress you, but to fulfill what happened in Noah's day. <laughs> Come on now. What bird brought back new life when the ark landed on the mountain that actually in the Hebrew means the curse is reversed? When it finally hit on the top of the mountain, what bird did they send out looking for new life? And which one brought it back? 
A dove. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit symbolic of a dove? He's the only one that brings back new life. That's what he does. He's the only one that brings back new life. He's the one that actually establishes new creation. Come on, somebody. <laughs> okay, just a little side stuff. Is that all right? We need more teaching in the body of Christ so that we understand scripture. Um, so a couple things I want to bring out here. Number one, Bethesda was a name that was given by those who were sick. Very important to understand that. I want you to stay with me because this is some deep stuff here. Bethesda was given by those who were sick. Nobody else called it the house of mercy. Why? Because what they used it for did not need mercy. Did you see this? What they was there to do was to relax. They was not there to cure any diseases. They was not there to do anything but just chill out. So the lame that went there was there and they begin to give it a name. Why? Because the name was coming from a need. Most of our names come from a need. I'm going to let this sink for a second. Most of what we call you something, it's because of a need. When somebody calls you a liar, it's because they have a need for you to be truthful. You can tell a lot about what an individual needs from you by what they call you. It's not necessarily that there was an angel that ever stirred the water and anybody ever got healed. And I'm going to tell you why. It's real simple. Just look at the, the, the breakdown of the, the, the story. Literally says that the first in the pool got healed. Which tells me that whoever got in the pool really didn't need healing. Why? Because they was fast enough to get in there. The strongest are the ones that got the healing. That means the ones that was less sick got the healing. So all the people that really needed healing desperately couldn't get in. This makes sense. It was a mythological thing. We don't know why the water stirred the way they did, but they did. It could have been anything. A current. If you go to Israel right now and you look at different, if you go to the Jordan, there's people who can float on the water at the Jordan because of the salt content in the river. There's all kinds of different weird things in Israel. This is the Middle East, so there's it's it's a different climate there, right? And there, there's weird stuff that's that's there, and, and science could actually, um, and has in several different cases, in Israel, archaeological, uh, archaeological uh, explorers that have went there has found all kinds of almost magical things about this Middle East, this place we call Jerusalem. Stuff surrounding it that is just, just crazy. And, and it wouldn't make no sense to us here on this western side of the world, but there it, it makes sense. So I don't know what could have caused the stirring. All I know is this man could not get into the water because he was disabled. And thank God, because he actually encountered something that was real. That changed his whole world because of his inability to get where he thought he needed to be. Can you say amen to that? Here's another thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Um, let's continue. Go back up to verse verse nine, just real quick. I, I, there's something in here I, I just want to I want to read that that we miss as well about these sick, lame people. Let's continue to read verse nine. 
At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Yep. The, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now go, go down to verse 10. Verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Isn't that funny? Jesus never lost him. I want you to watch it. Jesus never lost. There was never a moment he didn't know where the man was. The man didn't know where he was. But there was never a moment he didn't know where the man was. I don't know if that'll preach to you like it preaches to me. There's times I'm feeling for God. There's never a time he don't know where I'm at. Amen, somebody. There's times I'm saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But there's never a time he says, I don't know where you're at. Oh, he's always acquainted. Oh, he's intimately familiar with where you're at. He knows everything. It don't matter what you said to him. That's the thing I love about God is he doesn't let our conversation with him persuade him. He listens because he loves. But it doesn't persuade what he knows. Amen, somebody? And then look at this last part. Watch what Jesus says to this guy. Ooh, watch this. And he didn't, he didn't bring this up, Jeremy. Watch. He don't bring this up until the man was healed. There's certain things Jesus won't say until you're at a specific place. I need you to hear this. Watch what he says here. We don't ever read this part. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. Whoa! Whoa, we never knew that the reason these people was here at lame at the gate, lame at the pool, was self-inflicted. Oh, the reason I'm here is because of something I did. Whoa, he said, stop sinning. I mean, it's what, I'm going to heal you. We're not going to talk about the sin issue while I'm healing you. I don't want no condemnation right now. We're just going to deal with it. I'm going to let my love consume you right now. But now that you're healed, let's talk about what got you there. Let's talk about what got you in this position in the first place because I don't want it to happen again. Come on now. Healing's not proof. An encounter with God is not proof that you'll never end up back there again. So what I need to do is I need to teach you teaching. It's one thing to be healed, but you need to learn from the experience. Come on, somebody. This is self-inflicted. Why are they there? Why are they lame? Why was he paralyzed? We don't know, but it's something self-inflicted. Jesus wouldn't have said, quit sinning. See, we don't like to hear this in today's gospel, especially grace preachers. We don't like to say this stuff, but I'm telling you, sin has consequences. It has consequences. There's a reason why daddy says no. Quit touching that. Quit looking at that. Quit beholding that. Quit gazing at that. Quit fellowshipping with this. Don't walk after the the flesh. Walk after the spirit. Come on, somebody. If you walk after the spirit, you'll deny the lust of the flesh. This is Paul preaching this. The gospel guy. The grace guy. He's the one to you. We don't want to hear that stuff no more because we don't want to get our feelings hurt. But it is the gospel. 
And I refuse to bow down to a culture that we live in today that don't want to hear the truth. You can't change the truth just because it don't fit what you want to hear. Come on, somebody. Man, if you ain't being persecuted because of your beliefs right now, I'm questioning what you're preaching. Talking about it's all love. It ain't love. That ain't love. Love has truth. Man, you know what I love about Scripture? It never tells us to preach the truth with love, Jabin. It says preach the truth in love. When you're really in love with somebody, truth is the byproduct. There's a way to say it. Sure, you don't have to get up and, you know, sound, sound like you're, you're trying to hit people over the head with, with the Bible, so to speak. There's a way to love people through it. And some truth, really all truth, all truth comes in timing. Jesus said, there's more I want to say to you, but you can't bear it right now. See, truth should come in a season where you can bear it. If you ain't been loving somebody for more than one month, you better quit giving them truth they can't bear. Because what's going to cause them to bear any amount of truth is them enduring a season of love from you. What does that look like? Sometimes it looks like healing first. Sometimes it looks like allowing them to bleed. Sometimes it looks like giving them space to mess up. Sometimes it looks like a mess. And you just loving them through it. No condemning, no correcting. You need to know that correction, you should correct people with responsible, mature spirits. Not everybody, first of all, not everybody's giving you permission into their life to bring you correction. Correction from you. Are you hearing me tonight? You you, you aren't the the chief correction apostle to everybody. So get out of your own way. Quit acting like you're the dude that's still going to check everybody and get everybody in their place. That's not you. You need to humble yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to correct you. Paul said, there's some I'm an apostle, there's some I'm not. So don't walk into my life without permission trying to bring correction into my life. Because you can only truly correct somebody at the level they trust you. And if I've not endured anything with you, I don't trust you yet. Come on, somebody. Amen, somebody. Truth isn't just in what you're saying. It's in how you love me when you're saying it. I'm teaching tonight. Woo-wee. Man. The other thing that I, I find interesting tonight is when he said... Jesus walks up to him and he literally asks him, do you want to be healed? That seems obvious, but when you've been in the struggle 38 years, typically the byproduct is you becoming complacent. When you've been struggling for that long, I know it seems obvious to us who've only been in a six-month struggle. Yes, I want to be. Are you, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, but 38 years is different. 38 years, you've prepared your heart just for what it is. 38 years, you're looking for death. You're looking for other things. 38 years, time has went by. You're, you quit hoping. You quit believing. It's too hard to hope. It's too hard to believe. Sometimes, you ever been to a place to where it's scary to hope anymore? Because, because you're tired of being let down? It's, have you ever been to a point where God asks you to pray for something so radically, like, like big that you're afraid to, that it exposes the fear in your heart because you don't want to be let down? Come on, somebody. This is, this is where this guy's at. 38 years? 38 years of watching everybody else get blessed. And you're going to sit up here and ask me if I want to be healed? Whoa! 
many times have he attempted to get into the pool by himself? He'd said that they walked by him and they, got, they beat him to it. How many letdowns, how many failures, how many times has he, has he struggled in his own strength to pull his body up? And then we know he's there because of some type of sin issue. So it's condemnation weighing him down. Condemnation always stops our legs from working. Let's get that for a sec. When you're under the spirit of condemnation, it stops you from gaining momentum in your life. Real growth. This man was, golly. It seems just obvious. Like, do you want to be healed? That's a deep question that somebody been waiting for 38 years. Truth is, I, I don't know. I don't even know if it matters anymore. Ooh, I just felt the Holy Spirit right there. Not even sure if it matters anymore. It used to seem like something I would want, but the weight has killed all of my desire. The weight has killed all of my desire, all of my hope, all of my dreams. This weight has absolutely destroyed all of it. So it makes sense why you would ask me, do I even want it? Just ask yourself real quick, do I want to be healed? Come on, say it again. Do I want to be healed? Jesus. You know, the truth is, the man was paralyzed 38 years. But here's a a hard truth. Maybe some of us can accept, but truth is, none of us are in waiting. And none of us ever have been. The only thing waiting in our life is our destiny. And it's waiting for you. We are actually living in a present assignment. At all times. You say, well, I'm waiting for the fulfillment. No, you're not. God's already given you what to do today. You're not waiting. You've already got instructions. It feels like waiting because you're not focused on your now. You're focused on then. That's why it feels like waiting, but it's not really waiting. Because that's already set. What you're going to be is already written in history if you do what he's telling you to do. It's waiting on you. You're not waiting on it. The only one moving is you. That's stationary. It's set in time. It's set in place. What you're to become is there. It's July. Whatever the date is, God knows it. July 4th at 7 p.m., you're going to get a phone call that's going to affirm everything that you've been doing in your life. And it's been there the whole time. It's set. It's waiting on you three years before to just simply do what he told you to do today. Hey, forgive sister so-and-so. Forgive him. Love that individual. Work on yourself. Start eating better. Start disciplining yourself better. And then all of a sudden, here you are, 7 p.m., July 4th. Bing! Hey, God told me to do this for you. Bam, changes your whole world. It was always on the calendar, waiting for you to come through the necessary now seasons. Man, is this for anybody tonight? This step, this step, this step, this step. Nobody in your life has the power to stop what God is wanting to do in your life but you. If God be for me, who can be against me? Question is you. 
You're the only one. The only thing standing in your way is your obedience or your lack of. Jeez. Here's the other thing. I'm going to leave you this last note. I, I got, I got, I'm, I'm picking it here, just trying to feel the Holy Spirit. But here's the other thing that was crazy about the story, y'all. If the folklore, the folklore was true, if the mythology of this troubled water is true, I don't know, I wasn't there. I find it funny that people was being healed. Go back up to verse one uh, for me. I want to pull out just one last point. I find it very funny that how the angel was healing people. Let's read here, Pastor Tim. Look at verse 1 here. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Mm. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there, had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now look, verse 4, the one that we, we just talked about. Remember it said that the angel of the Lord would trouble the water. I find it funny that it wasn't peaceful waters that brought healing. But it was troubled waters. (laughs) See, we keep avoiding troubled seasons. That's why you're not growing. If you run away from the fight, you're never going to be strong enough. It's troubled waters that God uses to bring you into the fullness of what he's called you to become. So I want to encourage you to quit cursing your tough seasons tonight. Quit running from them. Quit avoiding them. As a matter of fact, I'm praying that you get the courage tonight, church, to actually face whatever it is that God's asked you to face and run into that thing with the courage of the Holy Spirit. And allow God to do in you what he's trying to do in you. Do you understand how powerful you are? I was, I study a lot during the week and, and, um, I'm closing, but science is fascinating to me, y'all. It's fascinating to me. Um, Science is not anti-God, by the way. Um, You have atheistic point of views. And and the thing that I love about atheism, most people misunderstand what atheism is. Most atheism is actually more rooted in agnostic atheism than it is dogmatic atheism in the sense that most of them are humble enough to say we don't know. Um, Einstein said that science without God is futile. It's, there's a lot of mystery to it all. But one thing that I, I, I was studying this week scientifically and just looking at, it's just the way my brain works, but um, I was actually studying the microbiosystem. Those of you who don't know what that is, that's the bacteria. There's a lot of stuff in our guts that we eat. 70% of our immune system is in our guts. 
If you don't have a healthy gut, it's going to allow disease to come into your body at some point. Um, I'll give you a good example. I'm not a doctor, but I've studied this stuff for a few years now because of my own issues with acidic stuff. But what happens is, so I went to the ear, nose, ear, nose, throat doctor. Uh, when was it, babe? Probably six months ago. No, about two, two, three months ago. I've been having issues for the last two, three years, and um, just really acidic all the time. But then it stopped, like you know, heartburn, where you can like it kind of comes up, and you're like, Ugh, you know, not that. It was what they call silent reflux. Silent reflux. Is when you're very acidic, but it, it doesn't come all the way up the esophagus. It rather, it kind of sits in your chest, and it can imitate a heart attack um, to the point to where there was times my wife would tell you, I don't know how many times I went to the doctor, running to the doctor thinking like, yo, I'm out of here. Um, tell the kids I love them. And I got there, they said, man, you're just really acidic. You got what condition called GERD, the silent reflux, kind of similar things. And long story short, I went to the ear, nose, throat doctor trying to figure out what was going on with me. A couple months ago, I'm like, man, I just don't feel like myself. I'm lightheaded. I'm dizzy. I'm at the gym sometimes. I'm like literally like have to stop and do like this to gather myself. I'll get night sweats, all kinds of stuff. I didn't know what was going on with me. There would be times I was in here preaching and y'all all hype. I'd get going and I'd stop say, slow down. And I'd do like this real quick while y'all shouted. Just gather myself because I, because I would feel like I was outside of my body. I get to the ear, nose, throat doctor. I'm thinking it's something to do with allergies. It's got to do something with with um, my dog or something like that or seasonal allergies. I get there. You know what the guy tells me? He says he puts me on a uh, uh, acid reducer. He says, man, everything you're experiencing with the mucus and everything in your head, your ear, your jaw, your lymph nodes, all this stuff, that's all coming from your stomach, man. I said, what do you, how? He says, it's your stomach. He says, what's your diet? I told my diet. He said, it's definitely your stomach. Puts me on all this stuff. My, as soon as I start taking the stuff he put me on, within a week, everything changed. Feel much why what happened was my body was producing mucus, right? Because it was trying to produce mucus to protect me from the acid. Because the acid don't belong up here, it belongs here. It's it's got a purpose. God gave it a purpose, right? To to break down the food, to digest the meats, to digest the proteins, all this stuff. But up here, it becomes a danger because it's in the wrong place. And so my body would produce the mucus, and then the mucus would get all in here, and then I would get sinus infections, all kinds of stuff that was happening all the time because the mucus, what it does is all kinds of infections hide within the mucus, and most diseases come from mucus in your body and all this stuff. And so it's your body trying to protect itself, but in, but in the uh, attempt to protect itself, it's also opening the gateway to other diseases. And so I had all kinds of symptoms going on, y'all. Like, you know, I was like, my wife tell you, I was miserable all the time miserable and i got to looking at this stuff last night and this doctor was on it she was talking about the first thing she says is i don't know how anybody can't believe in god she says every cell everything in your body is designed with a specific purpose everything to not believe in god you would have to believe that your lungs just just kind of came into being and there happened to be oxygen for them. To not believe in God, you would have to literally believe <laughs> that your heart just happened to come into place at the exact point of where it is. And there just happened to be blood flowing through veins to sustain that. 
Like the way she designed this, it blew my mind. What am I saying? God is real. Even without us knowing it by the spirit, even creation points to the evidence of the existence of a father. That was what they call intelligent design that they designed. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Do not think that you are just casually here for no purpose. If you're breathing air, it is attached to purpose. And if you are going to really do life the way God wants you to do life, I'm telling you, endure the seasons that he's called you to endure. And I promise you, the thing, not the universe, God will line it up for you. The way that it's meant to be lined up for you. And I'm telling you, there's no hater. There's nobody you've ever done wrong. Nobody can stop the plan of God once your obedience is in place. Once your obedience is in place and you go through the necessary seasons, it's going to open up to you like never before. Can you say amen to that? So let's stand to our feet tonight. We're going to pray.